My name is Natalie Nation, and you're listening to Feed That Nation. Today's episode focuses around the topic of promoting food literacy through on-campus agriculture. According to the Food Literacy Center, food literacy is defined as understanding the impact of your food choices on your health, the environment, and our economy. I think that's such an exciting definition and it leaves so much room for interpretation and so many different ways that people can educate and promote food literacy in their communities. Today's topic, promoting food literacy through on-campus agriculture, is especially relevant to me because of the work that I've been doing through community gardening. I've loved being able to explore the intersection between food literacy, community gardening, education, nutrition, empowerment, and so much more. Here today to talk with me more about community gardening and the role that it can play in educating people about food literacy is Jennifer Tashney. Jennifer, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Well, hello, Natalie and and all. It's good to be here. I'm Jennifer Tashney, and I work with the Sisters of St. Joseph of Crondelet um, in young adult spirituality and also our sister vocation office, and I run the community gardens on our campus. Yeah, and the community gardens are how Jennifer and I initially met. I actually work with her over at the Office of Young Adult Spirituality, and we work with the Celestream Community Garden over there, and then also with the St. Kate's Food Shelf, which I talked about a whole lot in the last episode. So to start off, you have a huge interest in sustainability and gardening and all of that stuff. Can you talk a little bit about your interests and where that came from? Sure. Yeah, I'd say the seed for the interest really started when I was in college myself. And um, towards the end of my college career, I took a course in um, artistic lifestyles. Um, But it focused on looking at sustainability and art and how those concepts could influence how we live. And um, so my my foundation was really kind of intellectual into sustainability Um, and then I started to dabble with growing food in a community garden, actually, on my college campus. And where was your college? Uh, the College of St. Benedict and St. John's University. And so the community garden was on the property of the sisters, the ben, um, Benedictine sisters. And um, and that was, so the summer after I graduated, actually, I stayed on campus and started learning how to grow food in that garden. That's awesome. Yeah. And so how did you end up working with the sisters in young adult spirituality? In between my college years and and working with the sisters of St. Joseph, um, I actually started to do more with gardening. Um, after St. Ben's, I participated in other community gardens. Um, and then my my husband now, um, his, he's from a family farm. And so we were able to kind of... Um, take my intellectual interests and merge it with his experience and family um, family practice of farming. And and gr- we started growing food on his land, on his family's land in Mankato. Um, and that's where um, previously the family had been growing gardens for, um, for their family for decades um, and using mostly conventional methods. And so we started dabbling and learning more about sustainable methods and organic methods. And this was back in, you know, about, well, 2000, so you know, nearly 20 years ago, um, and we found that we needed to learn more about that. So we reached out to a local organization, Land Stewardship Project, and we took a year-long course in sustainable agriculture called the Farm Beginnings Program. That's awesome. 
Yeah, that was really helpful because uh, the course is it's fabulous, and it, they still offer this course. You know, uh, from small scale to large scale, organic certified to sustainable use methods, um, market growers, um, growers who um, distribute CSA growers. And so you see all these different kinds of business models and practice models too. And um, so you're kind of able to sculpt what's going to work for you and your family. Um, And kind of a key piece of that was really thinking about a a quality of life that you want and, and how your farming business can support that really interesting. So you have over 20 years, more than that even, of academic experience in sustainability and gardening and then practical experience in gardening and all of those other things. So to back up to the topic of today's podcast, which is promoting food literacy through on-campus agriculture, I like to ask people this when we're talking about food literacy, but what does that term mean for you? Well, just having an understanding of um, where our food comes from um, and and I would add who's impacted by um, that process and um, and then how that food impacts your own health. So where does it come from, who and what is impacted by that process, and how does it impact your health? That's an awesome definition. I had a professor, actually Christina from Podcast 2A, asked our class that a couple of years ago, and I think there were 20 of us in the class, and we had 20 different answers for that definition. (laughs) So in promoting food literacy, what kind of work do you do now in promoting food literacy? Okay. So I I feel really fortunate to be working where I do with the Sisters of St. Joseph in young adult spirituality because it's really a kind of fusion of my interests. So um, we're able to provide programs in theology and spirituality, and, and we create outreach initiatives to the general public. Um, but what's core to our programming is our community garden, and it's, um, it's our, one of our longest-standing programs for community engagement. And um, so um, as coordinator of that garden, I'm just grateful to be able to bring together my own interests, you know, in sustainable agriculture and spirituality and bring them together in this in this community garden. Um, did that answer your question? It did. I was also going to ask about, you work with elementary schools as well? So um, I'd say on the side, I vol- you know, it's sort of like sometimes when it's growing season, I look up and I look at my husband and I say, how many gardens can I be in. <laughs> I mean, in one week, I can find myself in about six different gardens. So um, I volunteer on the side of my children's school, Highland Catholic School. They have a school garden there, and I coordinate that um, with another parent volunteer. And we try to incorporate gardening then into the curriculum of pre-K, really through eight. We'll engage with the garden, but we focus particularly on the second graders. And they, so they'll start their own seeds. They'll plan their garden. They'll start their seed seeds. They'll care for them. They'll plant them outdoors. Um, they'll do a spring crop that they'll harvest before the end of the year, and then they'll, they'll plant a summer crop. We'll volunteer to keep it watered and take it and cared for all summer. And then in the fall, the students will get back out there for harvesting and some food prep and eating. Um, and then it all culminates with a big soup luncheon that the the kids all help to make happen. And we serve that to elders in our community. That's an awesome project. It's very cool. 
I love how when you incorporate the second graders, so when you're doing the spring and summer planting, that's last year's second graders right. through the fall, and then you get to introduce the new second graders through that, and they get to learn about, I guess, gardening through what their peers had just done, and then throughout the year, and then at the end of the year, they get to continue to keep that going yeah, for the it, next year. Yeah, it, exactly, and and we really try to make a, a create a frame around it all about caring, you know, caring for our environment, caring for our school, um, with the idea that the second graders will will plant a garden in the spring, that next year's second graders will harvest. We really try to emphasize to the incoming, you know, in the fall, these young second graders that, you know, those big third graders planted all, they started all these plants. They put the care and the time in, and now you get to harvest it. So, you know, do it with care because this is, we're connected to them. Um, they did this work. Now we're doing this work. And in the end, we're going to be sharing this with others. So that process um, is just a rich medium for talking about care and trying to nurture a sense of caring for um, ourselves and our, our community and our earth. That's so awesome. How does, um, if you're, I mean, you're working mostly with second graders, but you're also working with the entire school. So pre-K, these little four-year-olds, all the way up through eighth graders, 14-year-olds. So how does the process of including them or engaging them in that kind of change? Yeah, um, it's somewhat intuitive, uh, but we kind of, we just try to go with what's realistic and possible. I mean, with the younger ones, um, you know, planting a flower is a great thing because it's very specific and they can, it's big and it's kind of hardy and, you know, um, so we do quite a bit with flowers with the younger kids. Um, and then, you know, we kind of just create a focal point for each grade. So with the first graders, we have this um, pole bean teepee that we create and it's theirs kind of from beginning to end. And then they get to go sit in it, in the shade of it, you know, in the fall and enjoy it. And that's kind of their thing. Um, and then some of the like the bigger labor jobs, both at the beginning of the year with bringing in compost and the end of the year with garden cleanup, we really try to get the older kids involved with that and also in the harvesting of some of the bigger things like the pumpkins and squash, you know, um, get some of the bigger kids involved with that. And then because we do move into cooking with our produce too, um, we're able to get, you know, engage the older kids with some of that food prep, um, which which is which is fun and exciting. Um, but I mean, you know, gardening is great for all ages. We tend to find that second grade just seems to be a really good focus for the majority of the work. They're so eager, they're so excited about everything and they have enough, they have the skills where they can really like, you know, hold a seedling and, and get it into the ground without too much stress on them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> on them or on the seedlings. <laughs> So how do you, I guess, compare or contrast that work with the work you do with the Celeste Stream Garden with college students and neighbors and sisters and all of that? Yeah. Well, I think with the with the community garden um, on the sisters' property and with the gardens on St. Kate's, it's, um, it's more of a learning community. It's like an open learning community because people come in with a with a variety of skills. I mean, yes, I have a background, but other gardeners come in with skills too. And, and some, in some cases with St. Kate's, um, women have come from gardening cultures and they have different ways of growing things that I don't know about as well. And so we're always trying to create a teaching learning circle. Um, and 
so if if someone comes without any experience, they're welcome and they have plenty of teachers. And if someone comes with a lot of experience, it's a place where they can share that knowledge. And um, I think a lot of the gardeners, a lot of the community gardeners that come say they learn something new, you know, every night, if not at least every season. That sounds familiar. I've definitely learned a lot in the process of working with you in the gardens over there and working with the St. Kate's Gardens and everything else. Yeah, and there's so much to learn, you know, like even if the, a new situation comes up, I, I always like it when someone looks at me and says, like, well, what, what should we do about this? Or, or what is this particular fungus or insect? And I don't always know. And so we have to look into it together and then try to figure out what should we do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's it's not a garden of quick answers. Definitely not. It's a slow learning process, but very rewarding at the end, usually because there's vegetables. So as I mentioned earlier, Jennifer and I, our work intersects through the community gardens and also through the St. Kate's Food Shelf, which again, talked about a lot last episode. But where do you see these intersections between gardening and the food shelf and food insecurity? Yeah. Well, for years, so our community garden, we're approaching our 15th growing season. And for many of the, well, for all of those years, we've We've intentionally grown more more food than the community gardeners could use. And so we've always distributed um, food from the garden to local food shelves. And with um, with the increase of food insecurity on college campuses in general, and then what we've learned about food insecurity here at St. Kate's, um, it it was such a natural move to, to, to shift our distribution of garden produce away from the other food shelves in the community to right here where we actually grow the food on our campus. Um, and so I think that community gardens are a great way to address food insecurity. Um, and it's a strategy. Um, it's one strategy. We know food insecurity is just a symptom of a larger economic struggle. Um, but community gardens is is one way to address that because we can grow it here we can grow it inexpensively um, people without land access can join us um, and then we can access that fresh local organic food I mean basically at no cost except for the cost of your labor which that is a benefit because then you're getting exercise and um, so there's that health benefit and there's the food benefit and then there's the community building benefit mm-hmm. Um so I see community gardens as, you know, a solution to food insecurity. Um, and, of course, I know it's not going to fix it, and it's not, it can't be the only solution, but it, it, um, it offers a lot to the issue. It does. And I love, as a student, and I do a lot of coordinating with the community garden on the St. Kate's campus, and I love seeing the intersection of, engaging students in the garden and talking about it as a solution to food insecurity while growing food and harvesting food and bringing it to the food shelf and actually putting it in the hands of students. And I think that's such a rewarding process as a student. And then it's really rewarding to include other people and see other students make that connection for themselves of, oh, you know, I'm helping to grow this pepper plant. I just harvest it. It's going to the food shelf. I I'm feeding my peers. And I think that's really cool and such a fun way to be engaged in this aspect of food literacy, understanding where the food comes from and who's going to. Yeah. Yeah. And how do we say it? We sometimes say with the food shelf, um, students are welcome to access the food shelf as it as it might 
help meet a need. And at the same time, students are welcome to participate in the garden, which helps address food insecurity both for themselves and for the larger community. So it's just... exactly, and Yeah, and for some people, that's a good option to have. Mm-hmm. So we both do most of our work with community gardens as like our way of promoting food literacy through on-campus agriculture. Our on-campus is the community gardens, but I guess you're more plugged into the community than I am. So where do you see other people kind of promoting food literacy in their own ways in their own communities. What do you think, what's been cool lately that you've known about? Oh, yeah. Um, Well, I love the work of Appetite for Change in North Minneapolis and the way they're using community gardens to also build community and teach skills and um, bring youth in to um, employment and, um, and how they are also using those, their space to um, engage conversations with the broader community just about how do we increase health wealth in in, in our community. Um, and so I think they're doing great work. Um, you know, I mean, I think we, we have community, we, Gardening Matters resource is great for checking out, oh, where's the closest community garden near me because I want to participate in one and doesn't necessarily make sense to be in one all the way across town if you can be in one, you know, closer to where you live. So Gardening Matters um, has that resource for us. Yeah, so I, I would I would say that the the work of Appetite for Change and just the number of community gardens around here, and then that we have a resource in Gardening Matters to connect people with those gardens, um, and and also I think the work of Land Stewardship Project, another great local resource. You know, both in the training that they offer, um, the advocacy work that they do, and um, I think right now they're doing quite a bit of organizing around these um, farm to school um, initiatives. So yeah, and I love that somehow, even though we live in Minnesota where we can only garden like five months of the year, that there's so many avid gardeners and so many resources for people who want to community garden here. Yeah, yeah, right. It's a little crazy because you look at a seed packet and it's like, oh, plant a fall crop, and I'm like. Eh. Probs not. <laughs> right. And and that's our growing edge, too, to think about how we can do more with season-extended growing. We're mm-hmm. always talking about it. Sometimes we get to the end of our typical season and we feel like we're done, <laughs> um, you know, in October. But really, if, mm-hmm. we, if, we, if we're willing to, to go, do a little season-extended uh, growing, we could, we could grow later and we could start earlier, even here in Minnesota. Exactly. I love seeing what people are doing with indoor gardening and hoop houses and all of those other ways to grow food even when it's snowy and sad outside. You know, I think when kids or anybody takes care of something from a seed to a plant into the ground and then waters it and weeds it, harvests it, washes it, eats it, that grows in that person a particular a sensibility about this is this is special, this is um, maybe sacred, this is um, this is something that's that's really important, this food. And it's not just something that I just get and can just dispose of or, you know. Um, so I think that all these ways that we can bring people to have an experience with their food beyond just consuming it mm-hmm. um, is helpful toward food literacy and toward healthier people, healthier communities. Yeah. 
And I think the education aspect of that, where you're bringing people in and teaching them, where does your food come from? What does this look like? You know, how can you grow it? How can you do this with it? And I think teaching people is so powerful because, I mean, I mean, there's that metaphor, like teach a man to fish, feed him for a lifetime. But I think that totally applies to community gardening, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and with community garden, gardening, that aspect that once, once you learn how to start your own seeds and you, um, you know, once you go through one cycle of gardening with someone else maybe showing you, if, if it's not your mom or your grandparent, you know, in a community garden, anyone can show you, then you have that skill for a lifetime, totally. Whether you have a deck of an apartment that you can grow tomatoes in a pot um, or, or you find another community garden or you have your own land, um, we, it's kind of, it's exciting that there are community gardeners who've been with us just one year who've gone on to do other really neat things like start farms, urban farms, um, and join other food initiatives. And um, so we have, a, we have a few gardeners like that that have gone on to do some really neat things with food. That's awesome. Yeah. So in the next episode, I'm talking to Chris and Marie, who've done a lot of work on the St. Kate's campus with the St. Kate's bees. So I was wondering your thoughts about the intersection of ecology and promoting environmental health and the intersection with food literacy. Yeah, it's such a natural one. Um, I mean, once you start caring for something in your environment, like your plants or your food, you start noticing what what the detriments to the um, to the life of that thing are, you know. So um, I think as we increase care about something, then we just become more observant of what's going on in the world. And um, and so thinking about our wanting our plants to do well, it's natural to think about the insects around us, both the insects that might hurt the plant and the insects that we need for the for that plant to thrive. And so um, so we're always observing what's on our plants. What is this? Is this a beneficial insect, a, a helpful insect, or is this a harmful insect? And, um, and if it's a harmful insect, how can we remove it from our plants without damaging the plants or potentially hurting other insects? Right, right. And so, I mean, I think in all of this, what we learn is there's no quick answer to the, there are very few quick answers to any of this and most solutions have to be thought through and with most solutions there there are trade-offs <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so thinking about the bees and um, having another initiative right on our same um, campus that focuses on bees it's been great to collaborate because um, we can go and ask questions of those um, experts um, and certainly folks that are doing the bees come over and they're capturing photos of what type of bees are on our plants. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and when we taste the honey from those bees, we wonder uh, from which plants are they getting most of their nectar. And that's just, it's just a lovely, um, it's a lovely way to build relationships and community, I think. Yeah, and I love seeing the intersections and sort of building these connections between like if the bees on our campus are doing well, then we're going to have healthier plants. If we have healthier plants, we're going to have a better harvest. If we, if we have a better harvest, then we can bring more produce into the hands of students and just connecting it all and realizing that the bees aren't separate from the food shelf. They're really just smaller parts of one bigger project. Right. And when we can see that 
those interconnections here on our campus, we can also see that, that we are a microcosm of the larger whole and that those same issues play out on a larger scale nationally and globally as well. You know, and hopefully people that participate with us understand that their role is more than just that of a consumer. Mm-hmm. You know, or if it is just consumer, that in their consuming, they can be really thoughtful about some of their choices. Yeah, I love that you asked, like, what's our role? And I kind of want to turn that out to our listeners. So what would you say for my average listener who's either a college student or probably related to me at this point? (laughs) What do you think is anyone's role, really, in promoting food literacy in their own communities? Huh. Well, there's a lot of answers to that question. Yeah, well, I, I'm I'm just thinking about a favorite quote of mine that mm-hmm. has been motivational to me, and it's um, from Edward Abbey, and it's a quote, sentiment without action is the ruin of the soul. It's kind of dark, but I think about um, like a sentiment, you know, like I, pe- most people care about their health, and I certainly care about health, and I care about the environment, and I, um, and so for me to care means to act. So sentiment without action isn't helpful. <laughs> um, so a way to act, uh, you know, f- in in my case is to grow food, teach others how to grow food. But for others, maybe a way to act on that care or on that, yeah, care might be just more thoughtful consumption, you know, um, what methods are going into the food um, that they're purchasing um, and that kind of thing. I, I think... We all care about our health, and so how much are we able to or how much are we willing to do to take steps to um, to improve our own health with our, with our consumption and our decisions? That's a good answer. I think what I hear from that quote is sentiment without action that I'm hearing will get involved, like figuring out what projects or what organizations are near you that you're passionate about and then find a way to be involved. And that could be something really small, like you said, like just paying more attention to what you're consuming, who you're buying from, what you're buying. Or it could be bigger. It could be like joining a community garden or buying honey from a local beekeeper or a million things, really. Right. And 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 economics don't have to keep us out of this game because certainly, although purchasing food that is organic and local can be more expensive at a store, growing it ourselves or or growing it in a community garden context can, um, we can engage in that with no cost or little cost um, as far as money. Yeah. But then again, the cost is our own labor. And so if we're able um, to do that, it's there's um, multiple benefits that come from that. Oh, yeah. And I think another piece of that is paying attention to the issue of food waste. Well, I think um, there are studies that show that people that grow their own food, waste less food. I mean, there is that connection, certainly. When I you, definitely believe that. <laughs> you know, when you put so much time and energy and care into something, you're just not as readily going to dispose of it. I mean, that's kind of the focal point I have with the kid, the children in the children's garden, too. You know, once they've experienced this process, then um, people just tend to take food more seriously. And that's a good thing considering the amount of food we waste in this country, you know. Definitely. Um, Is there anything else about food literacy or gardening or anything that I haven't asked you that you really want to talk about? One aspect we haven't yet discussed is just the spirituality component. Um, And 
Um, I think a lot of that comes in just with, with the aesthetic of gardening, you know, just how how beautiful the experience is when you start with, um, I mean, just like art, when you start with a with earth that's dark and and nothing and nothing's growing, and you put in all of your ideas with the community and all the time and the energy and and by harvest you have this you know amazing beauty with the color colors and textures and health just brimming um, that that aesthetic experience is so pleasing and I I find that to be um, <laughs> a really spiritual experience it's kind of like communal art mm-hmm. creating a beautiful space yeah yeah that also that nourishes the community in more ways than one that's that's the spiritual component of community gardening to me thanks so much to jennifer for coming in and having a conversation with me about food literacy and community gardening i loved her perspective about gardening as an educational tool for anyone of any age And Jennifer's spirit of collaboration and continuing to make connections is such an inspiration to me. In the next episode, we'll continue our conversation about promoting food literacy through an awesome conversation about bees and the role they have to play on a college campus. Until then, my name is Natalie Nation, and you've been listening to Feed That Nation. Have a great day, and I'll talk to you soon.